Welcome to Absence Management Perspectives, a DMEC podcast. The Disability Management Employer Coalition, or DMEC as we're known by most people, provides focused education, knowledge, and networking opportunities for absence and disability management professionals. DMEC has become a leading voice in the industry and represents more than 16,000 professionals from organizations of all sizes across the United States and Canada. This podcast series will focus on industry perspectives and provide the opportunity to delve more deeply into issues that affect DMEC members and the community as a whole. We're thrilled to have you with us and hope you will visit us at dmec.org to get a full picture of what we have to offer, from webinars and publications to conferences, certifications, and much more. Let's get started and meet the people behind the processes. Hello, and welcome to Absence Management Perspectives, a DMEC podcast. I'm Heather Grimshaw, Communications Manager for DMEC, and we're going to talk about future-proofing absence management programs today. This concept of future-proofing was the focus of a roundtable discussion during the 2022 DMEC Virtual Compliance Conference, and I was impressed by references to what some called creative solutioning, which included sabbaticals for employees, four weeks of unpaid leave for new hires who weren't eligible for FMLA if they have serious health conditions, retention bonuses, marriage leave, and compassionate leave such as fertility and menopause benefits and more. We've asked Ali Skofsma, Senior Absence Consultant with Brown & Brown Strategic Non-Medical Solutions, and Rachel Foster, Leave Specialist 2 with CHG Healthcare, to join our discussion and shed light on this creative solutioning concept. Allie facilitated the roundtable discussion on future-proofing, and Rachel was an active participant. To start us off, I found the following definition of future-proofing to set the stage for our discussion from Collins Dictionary. If you future-proof something, you design or change it so that it will continue to be useful or successful in the future if the situation changes. I'd like to ask you both for some of your high-level takeaways from the roundtable conversation about future-proofing to get us started. Allie, would you kick us off and then we'll ask Rachel to chime in? Absolutely. So I think future-proofing has become such an important topic uh, within the industry in the last few years. And, And certainly, you know, we can look to the recent COVID pandemic that has really kind of forced employers to evaluate, you know, what their programs look like and how they can accommodate. Um, And, you know, even taking it to the point of saying, okay, how do I future proof a pandemic leave? Right. We know that this is, is, is likely to repeat itself in the future. So starting there was the first kind of uh, wave that we saw with employers and then moving into, um, you know, the great resignation and, and being concerned of how do we attract and retain talent within our organization and what does that look like um, across the board, across the generations, um, and how do we do we really accommodate um, the various needs of our people and allowing them that that work-life balance um, into the future. Yeah, I think I, I, you know, I mostly agree with Ali's statements um, in terms of that generational concept um, and definitely looking at moving away from the concept of, you know, work, work, work. Um, as the younger generations enter the workforce, the focus is on you know, heavily is on the, on that work-life balance and making sure that we are supporting the person holistically in um, every aspect of their life. And as 
as we support the worker through their life and their different occurrences, um, you know, through, you know, medical childbearing years to taking care of parents to taking care of, you know, older children, etc. Um, you know, moving towards that, you have to consider that and uh, make sure that you're adjusting and making changes to your program to make it sustainable and to make sure that you can continue to attract and retain talent. So addressing those concerns has been a, it's, has been a very big priority for sure. So Rachel, you talked about some of the new benefits uh, CHG Healthcare has introduced that sparked some really interesting conversation during the roundtable. And I was hoping that you would share some of those details as well as what prompted the organization to introduce them. Yeah, so recently, um, one of the things that we introduced in 2022 was that we moved from 14 days of pay time off for employees under a year to 18 days that originally didn't adjust until the employee hit their one year mark. Um, And one of the reasons was that we didn't want employees to feel pressured and living essentially, you know, paycheck to paycheck in a sense in terms of their PTO accrual. We wanted them to be able to have that increased flexibility and the ability to take time off, as Ali mentioned, to, uh, you know, to address the work-life balance and to make sure that they can take care of themselves um, and take care of their needs. Along with that, CHG also introduced sick time, which separately, you know, which previously was not something that the company had um, had offered, um, but it had been something that was requested on our, you know, our employee satisfaction surveys uh, year after year. So the company felt like it was, uh, you know, a good time to introduce that as a separate bucket outside of your paid time off to allow employees to take time to take care of themselves their family members as needed without necessarily feeling like they have to cut into their personal time, their fun time, their vacation time, you know? So, um, you know, that was definitely something that was really important. Um, And I think the huge push was, you know, the pandemic, seeing the effects of that, as well as for us always is that review of that annual employee satisfaction, that, that survey that goes out where, Um, You know, it really gives the employees the opportunity to say like, hey, this has been on my mind and I would like to see if we can address this somehow. So taking that feedback into consideration was a huge push. And Rachel, I I love what you talk about with the employee survey and whether it's an engagement survey or a pinpointed survey. I think that is such a vital step for employers to look at when they're assessing how can we create time away programs that are meaningful to our employees. And in that way, we're really evaluating our own culture, our own um, population, because there are times where we think we may know what our culture wants or our population needs, but that may not be accurate. And to address the the point of of the sick time bucket and and being able to really dive into allowing employees to take time away that aren't typically covered under our traditional leave packages is really important. We may want to, as an organization, say, okay, um, you know, uh, as we talked about, multi-generational, what do the different generations, what are their outlooks, um, stage of life, right? We we often focus on 
um, paternity and maternity packages, which excludes a significant you know, portion of our population, whether it's because I'm in a stage of life that's beyond or prior to, or I'm in a generation that isn't as likely that we're seeing less and less, you know, pregnancies or maternity requests because we're having less children. Um, so then you bucket that as a sick time, but allow that flexibility to say, hey, this isn't necessarily a vacation day, but we recognize and, and to be inclusive, you may have a need for leave that doesn't fall under traditional programs and we want you to have that balance. So I love that, that as an organization, Rachel, your group said, let's bucket that and call it sick time, but allow flexibility so that people can use it without having to tap into the, the vacation, which is a very different reason for leave. I think that's such a nice perspective, Allie. Thank you for that. During our earlier conversation, we talked about how larger banks, I think you called it bucketing, Allie, um, of, of leave give employers a little bit more flexibility. And it sounded like maybe a little less administrative work on the part of absence management professionals. And I'd love to hear if, first of all, if that's true, uh -huh. if bucketing these, these types of leaves not only gives employees more flexibility and the ability to use time as they need it, um, but if it is potentially a little less administrative work. I think that large employers are understanding that they need to be more um, thoughtful about designing their leave programs in several ways. The first is that diversity, that equity, that inclusion, and understanding that there are needs beyond traditional time. Right. But then they have to think about um, how how do we administer this in a compliant fashion? And what parameters do we need to put around that? Right. So I think that there's a lot of things to consider for an employer. And what we're seeing with a lot of larger employers right now is their main focus is on their paid time off programs. And and um, back to the term I used, bucketing, is saying, OK, our traditional buckets are sick time, vacation time, maybe some flexible days, holidays, right? But then how do we take those and, and make them more flexible while maintaining um, compliance? I think that can get a little bit difficult. But I want to also make a point when we talk about bucketing is that Again, if we think about the different types of things that people really truly need time for beyond um, I have a serious health condition, my family has a serious health condition, bereavement, right, is things like onesie twosie mental health days. I may not have a diagnosis but I need some time away, right? So what does that look like? Menopause is a huge focus for people and women's health because it goes beyond, I don't have a serious health condition, but I'm going through a stage of life that I may need additional things. Um, so I think that we know anecdotally a, a large employer can't possibly have menopause leave, mental health leave, all those different types of leaves in as a package, right? But what they could do is, is define a larger package as compassionate leave, allow it to be fairly open with maybe some parameters, and then that way it's separate of compliance with specific sick time laws and um, paid family medical leave laws potentially. 
but then they can market it as we want you to take that work-life balance. So I think that marketing becomes important for that package and allows a little bit more flexibility without having to worry about compliance as much. Yeah, and I, I love that point. And, um, you know, having these separate buckets can oftentimes, especially as companies launch into like an unlimited PTO program, um, having a separate, the separate distinction in the separate buckets can seem like an old school way of, you know, administering these separate time off allowances. But, you know, I think that it's really important because it offers employees the autonomy to just say, I'm taking a sick day. You know, whereas like if you say like, hey, I'm taking PTO, that might prompt your coworkers, um, you know, unintentionally asking like, what are you taking PTO for? Oh, are you doing something fun? Or, oh, what's going on? Where, you, you know, then you're kind of feeling pressured to tell them something that maybe you don't necessarily need to. Like, I'm having a really bad day with menopause, you know, or I'm having just a tough mental health day. So I love the distinguish, um, you know, or the distinction of the sick day to say, I'm taking a sick day to allow you to have that space. You know, I, uh, you know, need to be able to have this time as, you know, as a functioning adult and don't necessarily need to tell you what's going on in my life, you know, unless it's something obviously more specific that's, you know, a serious medical condition. It gives people that that day or two here or there to to take that opportunity, which I really appreciate. I think that's such a good point. And I love it that you said functioning adult, because I do think that that autonomy and the ability to say, this is something that I need for myself is so important. And it's really interesting to hear that unintended consequence of saying, if you, if you put something into that pay time off umbrella or bucket, then oftentimes it does allow or people think it does allow them to ask why. Yeah. And I think that the functioning adult and and Rachel, you use the term old school, which I think employers are looking to get away from that really hyper-managed leave in, we want all the documentation, we need to understand why, does it qualify? And getting into, we're working with mostly reasonable, rational adults, right? And and the reality is, is that we don't need to know every single time that they're away from work, why? And it doesn't need to be, um, you know, we need documentation. We are see, seeing employers kind of um, look into um, a term we call speed of trust, which is at some point we need to recognize that we need to relax the the requirements and trust that our employees are doing what's right to care for themselves so that when they come back to the the work environment, they are ready to go because they we allow them that flexibility. But we are also saying, I trust you, employee, to do what's right for you and for, for work. That's I love that. And I, I do that leads me perfectly into my next question, which is how employers are or whether employers are using some of these generous leaves to recruit as well as to retain. And the the comment about the speed of trust, and I'm using air quotes here, is I think really important and incredibly valuable for people to know that their employers do trust them. And so I wonder, Rachel, as CHG has uh, introduce these different types of leave. If the organization is using these leaves to recruit and retain, if that's something that you all have considered or um, might consider in the future? Yeah, definitely. Um, I know, you know, we have um, 
various benefits that are listed online, uh, you know, when looking at job postings that are available. Um, I think one of those benefits that's really highlighted is the volunteer time off that we offer because, um, you know, we do care so much about our communities and the various communities that we have employees residing in. We really want the employee to feel as if they're supported in supporting their own community and what's important to them. Um, so I know for sure that's definitely a huge benefit that is highlighted. Um, but along with, you know, the actual hiring process, um, being in the leaves department, we will frequently have our talent acquisition, um, you know, our recruiters reach out to us and say like, hey, this is kind of the situation that this potential recruit is looking at, you know, or that they're they're facing in the near future. Is this something that we can accommodate? Is this something that you can discuss with them that you can address? And I, on many occasions, have talked to um, a candidate who was not in, you know, anywhere in the formal hiring process, just, just simply, you know, interviewing and just in that process, um, and have talked to them about their medical concerns, their, you know, their concerns in, um, you know, I have this procedure coming up, would this potentially be something that's covered? Um, and I, I'd say that's a pretty standard practice of talking to those candidates and, and reassuring them that if you do, uh, if you are offered this position and if you do accept it, you are taken care of. Um, you want those employees to feel that reassurance. So I absolutely think that's a huge part of our hiring process um, is, you know, making sure that those employees feel supported in every aspect that they possibly could. Yeah, absolutely. I, You know, you, you talked about that volunteer, you know, time away. And I know, um, I don't have the exact percentage. Um, Gallup, I know recently did a pool of, of several employees to evaluate what, what are some of the most important things employees are looking for from an employer. And part of that response, some of, one of the top 10 things is that social responsibility. Um, it's, it's kind of all put underneath the guise of, of again, what I refer to as the diversity, equity, inclusion, and that is I want to know that my employer is has socially responsible mindset, including allowing me to take that time. Um, we're definitely seeing that with Gen Zers, that, that, that that's such an important factor for them. So I think that's fantastic that, again, I, I have a personality and a life outside of my work, and I want my work to be able to allow me to be able to be involved in activities that are really important to me on a social level. Rachel, I'm wondering from your perspective how that bucket really not only helps employees take the time they need, but if it does also benefit the administrative team as well there. I think the biggest part is the autonomy that it offers the employee to say, I need this day. You know, a little bit of a more of a hassle, I guess, administratively, just in, in terms of like implementing it, you know, setting aside those pay codes, making sure that employees have access to it, those sorts of things. Obviously, there was work that went into that. But as far as the actual administration day-to-day -day of an employee taking sick time, there hasn't been a huge increase um, in work on the, you know, the leaves department. And I don't think there really has been that big of an increase in, um, you know, kind of that heavy lifting on the employees end either. So it's it's kind of been one of those things where, it was it was launched and it's it's been successful and it's really done what it's needed to 
Yeah, Rachel, I, I want to kind of, I, I think that what you've done within the hospital makes so much sense in, in a lot of reasons, especially if you think about compliance, right? Because one thing you said was, um, if, if I want a onesie twosie, I don't have to get the permission of my, of my manager. So that's a benefit to the employee. And as long as employers are, are creating policies that, that outline some of those flexibilities and, and they're considering the, the the amount that's within that particular bucket. If that bucket is um, in, you know, size is at least as good, if not better than the most generous sick leave pol uh, policy or excuse me, sick, sick leave law. And then I open up my reasons to say, listen, this is a sick leave bank, but if you're just taking a day off to take your, your pet to the vet, you've you've created a policy that is going to match any of the most you know uh beneficial sick leave laws and now it does reduce a, a, t a bit of the administrative burden because now i'm not having to worry okay where where is this employee located um do i need to give them more time do if, is this reason for um qualified under that particular law that takes away a lot of that burden so i think that you all it sounds like you've done a great job rachel of, of really kind of opening that up so that now you don't have to hyper focus on the compliance you're likely compliant with the vast majority of sick uh laws exactly and the the time frame i think you hit the nail on the head with um it's it's limited right it's not an unlimited sick time thing the cap that we have is um matches the elimination period a standard elimination period of five days so um you know it gives the employee that time but also does set some sort of boundary on it of saying if you need more time than this that is a larger uh, discussion. That is something that from a compliance standpoint, you know, there are certain practices that we have to follow is putting a limit on it that yeah. matches your, you know, your practices, compliance, you know, based on state, as well as, you know, the need of the employee is, is really what makes it a functional program. Well, yeah. And then of course, you know, the, the, that putting that limit is so perfect because we all have to be mindful of the really big guy FMLA, right? So we need to get our employees down that track at some point. And that's when we can start driving out. Okay. You know, did you just take five days off? to take your pet to the vet and that's now we need to talk, have a conversation versus um no now it, it is actually a serious you know health condition of, of you or a family member what have you and making sure that we take the appropriate steps there for compliance purposes so yeah i, I agree yeah exactly and being able to set that you know that time limit of okay you've been out for three days consecutively we need to pursue this you can use that time you know that sick time as that you know that buffer to help you with the elimination period, but exactly that before the formal benefits of, you know, paid time off or, um, you know, salary continuance as we offer it here at CHG uh, Disability, as those kick in, you know, that buffer of getting you there while saying, hey, this is what the, the, the limit is, and then you need to really loop us in and get us involved. That's an interesting uh, balance too, I would think, between ensuring that someone has the time uh, he or she needs to take care of, of their own health as well as the health of their families and then also have that separate 
uh, paid time off for vacation and on the other side of the spectrum, if and when there are serious medical health issues that they can tap into that, those other leaves, those formal leaves. One of the things that was discussed uh, earlier is the concept of ensuring that people are taking the time they need when they need it for the specific issues they need to address. Uh, so in other words, you, you all have, have mentioned whether it's taking care of a four-legged family member or a pet um, and having that separate sick time to do what they need to do and then also having vacation time. Um, and I think one of the interesting components that was discussed a little bit is really ensuring that people take that time and aren't afraid that they're going to return to a landslide of work um, and really feel supported in taking that time. So I did want to see if, if you all would weigh in a little bit on that in terms of what managers and employers can do to ensure that their people are taking the time they need and really feel supported in doing that. Yeah, and, and um, one thing I really like about the you know sick time that we offer is that the employee is able to code the time themselves. It's not something that they have to approach their manager with um, and giving the employee the ability to really determine for themselves, this is what's, you know, this is what I need to code on this day and this is how I'm going to manage my own time, um, I think, you know, helps in that sense. And it has been really impactful. Yeah. And, and I think that the, some of the things that are going to be really impor important um, as employers look to be able to expand these types of benefits is one, um, where are you at with your culture? What does your culture look like? Are you in a space where you're trying to change your culture? And, and I think for several employers, the answer is yes. We need to change the culture of how people view taking time away. So that's step one. How do we create that culture of care and support if we are truly wanting our employees to take time off under these various types of topics we're talking about? So step one. Step two is market it. Don't spend a bunch of time creating all of these great things and telling your employees, you know, having these great benefits if you're not going to spend a lot of time advertising it. Because that tells me as an employee, oh my gosh, my employer wants me to take time away. So we need to have that, that advertisement across the board. Training for the supervisors to say supervisors, you want, you know, model the behavior, one, and two, encourage the behavior in an appropriate way. What does that look like? Um, I think that's so important. Too often we, we create these beautiful benefit packages and then we forget to remind people where they're, what they are and, and for the reasons we want them. I know there was a, a beautiful story about a large organization, and I can't recall um, which it was, but they were really struggling, um, as many of us are, with, with just mental health. And the CEO during a, a large um, event spoke to the, the employees to say, I myself have been struggling with mental health and I needed to, you know, seek out help, one, two, take some time away. And that just that alone was such a huge impact on that organization because they're hearing it from the top 
down. Um, and that's that's important in that advertising to, to really say, we have a culture of care and support, and here are the great things that we offer you and we want you to use in, in an appropriate and, and, you know, responsible way. Exactly. That's a great point that it really, it really is top down. Um, you know, we, unfortunately, our, our CEO recently uh, lost his father this year, and we increased our, our bereavement benefit from five days to 10 days. Um, and, you know, and he didn't shy away from letting, you know, letting everyone know, like, hey, I, I lost my father. My father was a huge person, um, you know, in my life was incredibly meaningful to me and the relationship was meaningful and I'm going to take this time. And it really is that letting your people know, like, we are all human. We all have these things come up and I'm going to take advantage of, of the time, um, you know, that we offer to take care of myself. And I strongly encourage you to do that as well. Don't push through something you don't feel like you need to push through or can push through. Um, you know, having that, that desire, I think, is, is kind of in all of us who are, who are motivated and who are, um, you know, passionate about the work that we do. But taking care of yourself and your mental health is absolutely a priority. And it, it extends to all aspects of our life. Um, so, you know, having that leadership portray that and to having them be so open about it is incredibly impactful. One of the things that I really appreciate about our company is, um, you know, like you mentioned, Allie, they don't shy away from marketing it. We have obviously our open enrollment meetings every year where, um, you know, our, our benefits director, Ann Hopkins, is, is wonderful about really highlighting these amazing programs that we have, um, you know, and then shortly thereafter, we have our annual roadshow where our CEOs, Scott Beck goes, um, you know, and presents to every single office and um, across all populations and again, highlights those benefits in case they were missed. And then, you know, on top of those two annual occurrences, we also have company-wide monthly check-ins where, you know, Scott, along with various um, executives within our company, again, continue to bring up these benefits and highlight them and acknowledge the ways in which they are using them and they are, um, you know, respecting themselves and putting them forth in their work. And as, you know, as an employee, it's, it's huge to see that support and it's, it's amazing. And I think, you know, as somebody who administers leaves, I can absolutely see the impact of that. I can definitely see that people take advantage of programs and who are more willing to step forward and say, I need this when they see that example from senior leadership within their company. Those are really powerful examples of, of how meaningful that that is to do. And during the annual conference, one of the themes was it's important to model the behavior that you want employees to emulate. And taking that time away is one of the ways you can do that without checking email, without uh, following up on things during that vacation. And it was interesting to look around the room and see almost everyone 
nodding their heads like, yep, I do that. I do that. I check email when I'm on vacation or if I'm sick. And so I do think that it it is a a process and certainly an evolution, but it's good to hear that it's happening. And so I'm, I'm wondering how or when this kind of creative solutioning started and if COVID prompted employers to look differently or to look at their benefits differently, as some have suggested. Ali, if, if you would kick us off and, and Rachel, I'd love to hear your, your thoughts as well. I think COVID definitely made the wave a lot bigger than it had been. Um, I think it, it definitely changed the way employers and employees thought about, about their work-life balance. But I, I don't want to, to miss the fact that I think it was a little bit before too. I think there were some really creative employers out there. And I think that that was just part of, it's been an employee market for a little while. And, and so how do we, um, you know, keep up and, and attract the best talent in our areas. And I think that I don't want to not give kudos to Gen Zers um, for the fact that they are, they're requiring it. Um, and so I think it started a little bit before I think COVID made it really big. I think that we went, maybe some organizations went a little over the top with certain types of benefits that we may see, like the the paternity and maternity, um, and and maybe kind of pulling back a tish in some areas. But I think we're going to see employers move forward with with just being more creative um, and, and ensuring that they're creating that balance across all of their different types of workers. Yeah, um, I definitely agree. I think it's been something that's been around for a while. I think, um, you know, it's it's impossible to deny the the push that COVID, um, you know, gave all of us. I think the the ideas were there. The the employees were asking for it, but um, in a sense, I feel like there was a fear that was holding a lot of these companies back from saying, "Yeah, we can do this." It's we've been doing it for so long. You know, let's just say take, for example, in-office work. We had been doing it for so long that that is where our comfort zone was. And whether or not somebody could be fully remote, it was the unknown, right? We didn't know if we could support that. We didn't know if their role could support that. We didn't know what their productivity level would truly be. Um, you know, and there's obviously this desire to trust the employee, but when you're talking about populations of thousands of people, that's that's incredibly difficult to do. So I, in a sense, I feel like COVID really pushed a lot of companies passed the initial fear that they had that those ideas and those concepts weren't something that they could employ within their own company. Um, and those are the the concepts, like Ali mentioned, that Gen Zers have really moved towards as being things that they're seeking out as a trait in an employer, fully remote work. The option to do that. Um, you know, is is incredibly important. And then obviously the, you know, various leave aspects are are incredibly important as well. But it's, yeah, it's definitely hard to deny the fact that COVID really pushed us towards that. I think that in order to remain, um, you know, at the top of the market and to remain a desirable company, companies are going to have to continually address that. They are going to have to look and say, this is what the competition is doing. These are what, you know, our various 
important aspects in the specific area of which our company is, you know, headquartered. Um, you know, this is the population base that we have. They really need to do um, a lot of work to say, this is the age group that we have. These are the various, you know, I guess, different groups of people that we need to cater to. And we need to make sure that they feel taken care of and that we're not turning a, you know, turning a, our heads to them and focusing on a different aspect or a different group of the company, but rather addressing everyone and meeting everyone's needs as best as possible. So I think it's it's definitely going to be something that that will need to be here to stay. Um, and I know I've kind of brought up sick time, you know, throughout this entire uh, podcast, but it's our sick time, like I said, came from the um, the opinions of the employee on that annual survey, but actually also came from uh, a COVID time that we obviously didn't have prior to, to 2020. Um, once, you know, we realized how impactful that was on the employee, we launched uh, COVID time off. It was CPTO, um, and which allowed the employee to take time if they needed to get vaccinated and were experiencing any sort of symptoms following that, um, allowed them to take care of a family member who was suffering from COVID, allowed them to take care of themselves if they were suffering from COVID, um, and it didn't you know, count against them towards any of their other personal time off buckets. Um, but, you know, we as a company realized that this is something that's going to be here to stay. COVID's not going to go away. It's going to be something that is is here. So how can we change this initial CPTO that we launched to make it a sustainable program long term for our company? for our company. And that's how it evolved into that more strict, you know, boundaries set on the sick time. Whereas before it was this kind of unlimited um, amount of time with no documentation needed, we moved forward towards that five-day max. Um, and, you know, just looking at programs like that is incredibly important. Let's launch something to address an immediate concern, but let's know that we are going to need to continue to look at this and evolve the program to fit long-term needs of both the company as well as the employee. Yeah, Rachel, you just hit on the most one of the most important you know components of this for employers as well. Um, in order to you know maintain that future proofing for these types of leaves, um, be mindful of where the spend is. Is making sure you're looking at your data, right? So once I've put it in, who's using it? How are they using it? Um, and and look at that yearly, um, just like we do with our other leave programs, right? Because we want to make sure to keep it relevant and keep it effective um, for all parties involved. Um, we, not, we need to know what the data is. So I do encourage employers that, you know, do find ways to track and monitor this at a higher level so that you can then say, this this program may need some tweaking this year. Um, this program, you know, may not be what our population needed. So let's remove that um, and so on and so forth and continue that survey data as well to say, are we hitting the mark? Um, or do we need to look at it a little bit differently? Because that will help um, kind of reduce, um, you know, the over, you know, having too much um, or too little. 
Exactly. And, and in a casual conversation I had had just yesterday, actually, um, with my skip level uh, manager was we were talking about, you know, various programs that we offered and um, and said how important it is to pull those numbers. And she and I were just discussing and I said, out of curiosity, I just want to know, you know, how many people have utilized this time and having the distinction of separate, um, you know, codes or separate buckets is useful in that respect because you can do exactly that. Pull the numbers and say this amount, you know, this percentage of our population or this percentage of this specific benefit is being utilized. And then you can look at it and say, hey, you know what, that's kind of low. Maybe we should do something to increase marketing of this. Maybe we should look at, you know, launching a survey or a question of, is this still useful to you? Or could you provide us feedback on how something, you know, else would be more useful in a sense? Um, so looking at the data on a frequent basis is incredibly important to company and also pulling that and benchmarking based on other companies your size is incredibly important as well to make sure that you're you're truly servicing the population just because something has always worked doesn't mean that it's needs to stay that way right we all know that if it's always worked and it's great it's it's awesome but we need to make sure that we are evolving as you know as time goes on and so pulling the data is is the critical piece in how we we start that process and how we get kind of the juices flowing in a sense of thinking of how to stay on our game and how to be um, you know an attractive employer I think that that's such a good point and I really I really appreciate it. I think that data piece is huge and I love the fact that you used uh, the word curiosity because I do think the the willingness and ability to look at data and then evaluate what does it tell you and act on it is I think probably one of the biggest parts of effectively future-proofing. So this really brings us full circle and I so appreciate both of your time and expertise here uh, and willingness to participate in this podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you, Heather and Allie. And thank you to all of our listeners. We're glad you were with us today.